Uh, greetings this morning in the Savior's name. Thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. They are all gone out of the way, God's way. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Isaiah 64, 6, But we are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags, and we do all fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. But the Savior brought us back. <laughs> the uh, last song we sang Friday evening, Man of Sorrows, what a man of sorrows. Uh, but the last, the end of every verse is, Hallelujah, what a Savior. Psalm 103, 1 to 4. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases, who redeemeth thy life from destruction, who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies. Christmas. The Savior has come. The shackles of sin can be broken. The chains that bind us to sin and self and Satan can be cut. The Savior has conquered him that had the power of death, the devil. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. I'm sure there's various subjects, topics that have been the subject of Christmas sermons. You know, you could think of, you could think of um, joy, joy to the world. Uh, peace, salvation. But this morning, the subject is submission. And that might seem like a strange topic for Christmas. But if we look at the submission that was involved in the lives of several of those involved in the Christmas account, Let's turn, first of all, to the account about Mary in Luke chapter 1. And it's often read this time of the year. Luke 1, 26 to 38. And in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God into a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou that art highly favored, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, 
for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth a son, and shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, she hath also conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For with God nothing shall be impossible. And Mary said, Behold, the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. So we might have the idea that, uh, that um, you know, for 400 years, um, sort of from the last of the Old Testament to now, and that's, the Savior was promised, the Messiah was promised, and, you know, the Jewish virgin just anticipating being the mother of the Messiah. Well, this passage doesn't communicate that. When she received the message, it says she was troubled. She's troubled. And she cast in her mind what, what manner saying this was. And the angel said, fear not. And so he explained how it was going to be. And so what did she think? Oh, this is wonderful. Time has finally come. Well, it was hardly, hardly that were her thoughts. She said, after all this glorious things the angel said, it's very practical and down to earth for her. She said, how can this be? I've never known a man. Now, now notice something. She didn't say, that can't be. You know, when God speaks, when God gives a directive, and when he, when he says what's going to be in your life, it's an improper response to say, that can't be. Lord, that won't work. The submissive servant of God simply says, how can that be? And so the, answer, the angel answers the question. And he says how it's going to be. And so, perfectly understandable to Mary? You know, happens every day? Well, no, it doesn't happen every day. It only happened once in the history of the world. A unique case. So, is what God wants to do with you seem like a unique case? Unique circumstances? Unique situation? You can still respond like Mary. You can still respond like Mary. 
There's one thing that Mary understood and accepted. The angel said, with God, nothing shall be impossible. If we can accept that and believe that, then we can respond as Mary did. She said, Behold, the handmaid of the Lord, be unto me according to thy word. So she said, Did she understand everything? Obviously not. But she said, Hear my Lord, your servant, whatever you say. And that's yieldedness. That is complete submission. And we might say, well, it was different in Mary's case. You know, an angel appeared to her. Well, God's message has appeared to us too. We have, we have very clear, specific directives in this word that apply to my life and yours. And the Holy Spirit applies them too to us in our situations. Just what God wants to do with my life and yours and can we respond as Mary hear my Lord your servant may your word your desires be completely carried out in my life and that was just the beginning of the things that Mary had to submit to there's many things she had to submit to you know Simeon said a, a sword is going to pierce your heart and then I, I think about things that happened along. Of course, raising this unusual child would have been a challenge, but um, then at the wedding at Cana, and you know, Mary, she went to Jesus, and he said, woman, what have I to do with you? Now, it wasn't disrespectful, but Jesus was, as God... Jesus as God was um, I don't know distancing himself from his earthly relationships um, not not in an uncaring way but uh, and see there was another time it's in Matthew 12 I think where you almost get the feeling that uh, his family thought he was getting a little bit uh, uh, maybe unstable you know they went to see him when he was teaching and the crowd said oh your mother and your brothers are out here to see you and he said who are my mother and my brothers the ones that do the will of God and then at the cross that's very interesting at the cross Jesus hanging on the cross he provided for his mother. <laughs> you know, he just said, woman, behold your son. And he said to John, behold your mother. And that was it. I suppose it was okay with her, but she used to submit to that. And then finally in the upper room, she was there with 120. <coughs> she was there not as a mother of Jesus, but as a believer with the other 120. Well then, looking at Joseph, let's go to 
to Joseph's uh, situation in Matthew chapter 1. And this is 18 to 25 in chapter 1 of Matthew. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. When as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found a child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privately. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him his wife, and knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. Well, here again, the whole situation wasn't crystal, wasn't crystal clear to them by a long shot. They were engaged, and she was found with child. And we see something of the character of Joseph, his character, his submission. But, uh, you know, when something devastating comes into our lives, how do we respond? I mean, he could have thought, how could you do this to me? I trusted you. You know, I, I would have never thought such a thing. I thought I knew you. And he could have thrown the book at her. says he was a just man and not willing to make her a public example. How do we respond when when uh, somebody somebody's actions are devastating to us? Situations in our life that are very, very difficult. He was going to deal with her as gently as possible. He's going to still carry out his duties as he understood them according to the law. But he wasn't going to be harsh about it. And I believe... He sought the Lord on this matter. He did more than just count to ten. It says, while he thought on these things, he didn't act rashly or hastily. He sought the Lord. He was minded to put her away privately, but he was seeking the Lord. And so the angel appeared to him and told him what happened. And here again, 
it was a once in the history of the world occurrence. They simply had to accept it by faith. It said he did as he was bidden. He rose from sleep and he did as the Lord had bidden him and took unto him his wife. And what that meant for Joseph and Mary throughout the rest of their life. You know, one time, this is when Jesus was growing and was a teacher, this is like 30-some years later, and the, the religious leader said, we be not born of fornication. That followed them all their life. Well, it says, and we just read over this stuff. It says, he knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son. She was, Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary. He knew her not. That's a, that's a pretty tall task for newlyweds. Submitting to God's plan affected some right personal areas of their lives. And submitting to God's plans for us may at times affect personal areas of our lives. Did God ever ask you something that you felt was infringing on your personal rights? Did he ever ask you to give up something that was perfectly legitimate? And so what is our response? What is your response? Is it yieldedness, submission? I put a, I put a little tract in uh, in everybody's box this morning. It's not a Christmas tract, but it's uh, titles, Others May, You Cannot. God might ask stuff of you that doesn't ask of others. And so it was ongoing, their submission and yieldedness to God's plan. I mean, in the middle of the night, getting up and going to Egypt. And then back to Nazareth and raising this different child. And there were, you know, even, even before, uh, even, be even, even before Jesus was born, like going from Nazareth to Bethlehem, <laughs> thinking about our things here in the last couple years, you know, uh, did he... Uh, rail against this unreasonable government requirement that they had to go to Bethlehem to register and it probably involved a poll tax and, you know, this, this unjust tax, you know, just paid for the foreign occupation troops. No, you don't read that. And then getting to Bethlehem late, where was God? Baby about to come. I wonder if she was in labor already. And uh, was born that night. Well, the four-day donkey ride with a woman in that condition from Nazareth to Bethlehem. They, they could have had all kinds of thoughts about how God wasn't very nice to them. It's probably a blessing that... Uh, get away from all the hometown gossips when the baby was born. 
So God does know what he's doing. Well, then there's a few other characters we could look at, a few other individuals. Uh, back to Luke 2. Uh, Simeon and Anna. This is um, verses 25 to 38. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And the same man was just and devout waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Ghost was upon him. And it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came by the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law, then took he him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. And Simeon blessed them and said unto Mary his mother, Behold, this child is set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel and for a sign which shall be spoken against. Yea, a sword shall pierce through thy own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. And there was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was of a great age and had lived with a husband seven years from her virginity. And she was a widow of about fourscore and four years, which departed not from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. And she coming in that instant gave thanks likewise unto the Lord, and spoke of him to all them that looked for redemption in Israel. So this Simeon was um, an outstanding uh, godly man. Evidently knew the Old Testament scriptures had a perception and he was waiting waiting for the consolation of Israel. And he had been told that he wouldn't see death until he had seen the Lord's Christ. Now, he, he, he had a special revelation. But how long? I wonder how long he had to wait. See, the Lord had told him, you're not going to die until you see the Savior. So I don't know if he went to the temple every day or not. But so this day he went into the temple and he recognized that this was the Savior. But here again, submitting to God's timetable in your life. He had this promise, but we don't know how long he had to wait till he saw it. So he submitted to God's plan for him. And then Anna, uh, if we, uh, uh, we uh, I'm not sure if we totally know, or maybe I don't, maybe others do, but evidently she'd been married for seven years and was a widow then. It says for about four score and four years. I don't know if she's 84 years old or if she'd been a widow for eight or four years. But um, so her life was unusual too. 
And she was a very devout woman, and she fasted and prayed just all the time. And I don't know, she go to the temple every day? What does it say here? She departed not from the temple, so I guess she was there all the time practically. But, you know, just trying to think what her life was like. But these people, she, she didn't let her, her uh, I don't know what for disappointment she might have had in life, but she didn't let that turn away from her, turn her away from her pursuit of God. So I think that's another example of, of um, submitting to God's work and plan for their life. Now, there is one character, one individual in this Christmas account that is a classic case of a lack of submission. And we see that in the character of Herod. And the pain and the hurt and the anguish that's caused when one doesn't submit. And it's, it's, um, it's just, um, here's a, the account of Herod is, it encapsulates, uh, it illustrates all of mankind there cannot be two kings. Am I going to be king? See, when the wise men said, where is he that's born king of the Jews? Herod wanted to find out so he could kill him. There can't be two kings. So am I going to be king or is Christ going to be king? <coughs> my will, my desires, my life. Am I going to be the king? Where's Christ going to be the king? And if Christ isn't the king, then we're looking at the pain and the hurt and the anguish that's caused. Well, okay, so Mary, Joseph, Simeon, Anna. And there's one more example of submission. And what's that? Yes. Beyond all of those, beyond everything that we've done, if you think about Jesus, now you can read it in Philippians 2, how he humbled himself, became obedient unto the death of the cross, and so on. But anything that we have to, to give up, anything we have to submit is, is, in, is, is very, very small compared to Christ. To think about giving up, we can't even imagine giving up the glories of heaven to come down to this sin-cursed earth, miserable place for the Savior. Rejected by his people. Crucified. And we, we, could, look, we could look at many things. I'm not going to take a, a lot of time, but just... Everything through his life. His brothers didn't accept him. His brother, his family rejected him. They didn't believe. Um, he, he, he always he submitted totally to his heavenly father. He said, you know, I don't do my own will. I can only speak what, what my father tells me. On and on. Uh, 
And um, I'm among you as he that serveth. And so there's many verses we could look at, but uh, I don't think I will this morning. Um, in developing this message, uh, actually the part about Christ and all the verses we could look at would be another whole message. Um, but I will maybe read just a few of these verses I referred to in John. He says, My meat or that which gives me satisfaction is to do the will of him that sent me. I seek not mine own will, but the will of the Father which has sent me. I came not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. I do always those things that please him. And doesn't that spell submission? In Hebrews it says he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. I think maybe I'll just read here just uh, to kind of conclude. I'm going to read a few things from uh, some old adult quarterlies. The effect of Jesus' upbringing is well seen in his submission to his parents. It is true that Jesus was the Son of God and before this was holy even in his childhood and youth. The quality of his submission, however, has an unmistakable link to the submission in Mary and Joseph. They ask of him obedience, but they ask it being obedient themselves. For Jesus to return with them from the temple and be subject to them was more than to be a good boy as a son of God. It was to follow their own pattern of submissive living. The truth remains, however, that in the history of remarkable men is often a remarkable childhood, and the still higher truth is that lives are built. Childhood is the foundation of adulthood. That truth is both alarming and comforting. There is consistently a submission to the will of God and holy wonder concerning their part in this divine arrangement. The life of submission becomes a living sacrifice. A person who is a living sacrifice offers himself, his time, and resources without expecting reimbursement by way of possession or position. Well, those are just a few things I'd copied out some time back. Um, but thinking about what it, uh, thinking about what it meant for Joseph and Mary to submit their lives to God's plan for them. We tend to think of it as a mighty glorious thing, and we look back on it, and it was, but what it meant for them at the time was What God was asking of them was simply beyond what they could figure out. They simply had to accept it in faith. They simply had to submit to it. And, and uh, the result was truly glorious. We don't always see, we don't see the result when the process starts. When God asks those difficult things of us, 
God brings things into our lives that we don't understand. But if we're willing, if we're willing to let him do what he wants to with our lives, I'll tell you, the results will be glorious. So let's learn that today. Let's kneel for prayer.